You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Jesus, we stand in your presence and we, um, we acknowledge your greatness, that you are so good. <laughs> And that your goodness comes to us in so many different ways. It comes through your love and your provision, your holiness, your joy. And, and Jesus, we enter this space uh, this morning from all different places of life, spaces of life. And so I, I pray, Holy Spirit, in this moment, as we are lifting our hearts to you, that you would put your blanket of love over us because your love changes everything. And so, Lord, we bring to you our need. We bring to you our failure. We bring to you our sin. We bring to you our joy, our passions, our our desires. We bring to you our whole selves. And we ask, Jesus, that you would take all of these things and that you'd make them yours once again. And so, Jesus, we pray as we continue to worship, as we sit under your word, that by your Holy Spirit, you would stir in our hearts, bring us to life, and make us a blessing for this city. So we pray these things in your name this morning. Amen. Amen. So I have a teenage daughter, and she is delightful. Who knew teenagers could be delightful? They actually can. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, she's, uh, I'll try not to embarrass you. She's a delight, but she is also a teenager, which means that her dad can be an embarrassment from time to time, maybe just at a time like this. Like there's these times when Sophia and I are walking together out in public, we're, we're walking around uh, our neighborhood, or maybe we're walking downtown Kelowna, and I'll have my arm around her shoulder, And in that moment, my heart is so full of love and joy that I spontaneously sing out. And for some reason, it's the same song every time. The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. And it's amazing how quickly a teenager can disown their own father in a moment. She will walk away from me and she'll uh, tell everyone that she has no idea who that strange man is. But here's the thing. My daughter, Sophia, she makes me sing. We have a neighbor next door who's 11 years old. Her name is Anna, and she likes to sing too. So sometimes I'm, I'm in my backyard working on, on the yard, and I hear this melody coming from over the other side of the fence. And she's lost in song. And her song, it always brings this wave of joy to me. And and I often wonder, why is she singing? Why is she singing? What is she thinking about? What is going on in her heart, in her mind? Why is she singing? And and all of us here have been in this situation before. You've been in this one. You pull up to the red light. You look across at the car next to you, and you see the person who is in full-on rock star mode, right? Like, this is carpool karaoke with James Corden happening right before your very eyes. 
And I've come to learn that there are only three appropriate responses in this particular situation. You either avoid eye contact in order to save everyone the embarrassment. You look them straight in the eye, uh, or that's the second option. You look them straight in the eye and you make them feel as embarrassed as possible. Or third, for the extreme extrovert, you sing along. Has anyone tried that one before? You've got to try that one. That's, uh, that's always a fun time. As Christian people, we have many reasons to sing. We've got many reasons to sing. We sing because God is good, and his goodness takes on many forms in our lives. And so this summer, I want to spend our time reflecting on the reasons that we sing. I want to focus our attention on God and all that he has done to bring a song to our hearts and to our lips. And I wonder this morning, as you enter in, what reason do you have to sing? What reason do you have to sing? When I was in seminary, uh, learning all about God and, and learning to be a good pastor, uh, I spent a lot of time reading uh, and, and, and preparing papers and praying. And we had this little office in our home, and, and my, my little dog would sit at my feet, and I would work away in silence, hour after hour after hour. But every now and then, Having encountered Jesus' presence through my learning, I, I would break the silence and break out into song, alone in my apartment with my dog there. It was all, almost always, almost always the exact same song. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, O oh, my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King, in what you hear, may it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. That was my seminary song. I love you, Lord. But why that song over and over again? I think it, it was because in those years of seminary, in all that I was learning, at every step, I came to see God's profound love for people. Not just for me, but for every person that he has ever made. And so that's why I sang over and over about God's love. It's like the Apostle John says in 1 John 4, uh, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. It's why we love. The song that arose in me was because of the song that God was singing over me. <laughs> and it's the same song that he sings over every one of us. It's a song of love. God loves the world he made. God loves every single person he made. God loves you. And it's the reason to sing. Uh, here's the thing about God's love. God's love doesn't simply say, I love you. He actually shows you. He doesn't simply say it. He shows it. I was at a funeral on Wednesday 
for a dear saint. Many uh, of you know her for Wilma Sipe. And her son, Sheldon, shared a touching tribute for his mom that day. And he, he, he shared a tribute by reading something that he had wrote 12 years previous to that day about his mom's love. In that moment, he was reflecting on how easy it is for people to say, I love you, but how often those words fall short, that they have no action behind them. And Sheldon said this at the funeral. He said, about 12 years ago, I was sitting in a hotel room. Now, Sheldon was a pilot, and so it took him all over the world. I was sitting in a hotel room and thinking about the love of my mother and how it differs from the often heard words, I love you. I'm going to read you a little bit of what I was thinking that night 12 years ago. And then he read these words. Tonight, my 78-year-old mother is watching over my children while I am working. She did it yesterday and the day before and the day before that. She will do it tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. She organizes for them, drives them around, takes them to the dentist, the doctor, school activities. And at this point, <laughs> he's sobbing. <laughs> she cleans. She does the wash. She sacrifices her time, her rest, and her health. And she does not have to say, I love you. It's obvious in her actions. In fact, if she said, I love you, and then went about her day without any action, her words would be meaningless. But her love can be seen, can be felt, and experienced. My mother's love is tangible. It was a beautiful, touching moment in the service, and it was jam-packed full of the reality of real love. And God's love is the same way. He doesn't simply tell us that he loves us. He showed us. 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. God's love shows up. God's love shows up. You see, God's love isn't so much a feeling as it is an action. Love, it, it, it takes a form, and the truest expression of love you will ever come to know in this life and the one beyond it is the form of the love we receive in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who laid down his life in our place. God's love shows up. And make no mistake about it, this love has shown up in your own life too. It's been there since the very beginning. A few weeks ago, I spoke about the community that exists at the center of the universe. God is in himself a community of love that exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is a community of love. And God is this community of love. And the Bible teaches us that we were created by that community and we were created for that community. Mark that. You were created by God and for God. Which means that God loved you into being. 
You were formed out of this relationship of love. God loved you into being. Just think about that. The very first tangible expression of God's love that you ever experienced happened the moment you came into existence. The psalmist says you were knit together in your mother's womb, that that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. To say it another way, God loved you into being. (laughs) And the very, very breath that you just drew into your lungs, that is a tangible expression of God's love in your life. I mean, it's remarkable. God's love shows up time and time again. It shows up. It's been there from the very beginning, and it's here in this room in this very moment. And get this. God's love doesn't simply show up. It goes great lengths. (laughs) He's gone great lengths to be with you. Gregory Boyle uh, is uh, someone uh, in, in, in L.A. who runs a gang member intervention and rehab center. And he tells the story of a 15-year-old gang member he met in a prison named Rigo. And while Rigo was in prison, uh, he, his life was turned around by the love of Jesus. And, and, and Rigo was preparing one day for a special worship service for the prison youth that he was putting on. And Boyle, this this mentor of his, he casually asked if Rigo's father was going to be there as a guest for the worship service. And Rigo replied, he said, no, my dad's not going to be here. He's a heroin addict and he's never been in my life. He used to always beat me. And then something triggered in Rigo. As he recalled an image from his childhood, he said, I think I was in fourth grade. And I was sent home in the middle of the day. And when I got home, my dad says, why did they send you home? And because my dad always beat me, I said, if I tell you, promise you won't hit me? And he said, I'm your father. Of course I'm not going to hit you. So I told him. Then Rigo began to sob uncontrollably as he remembered this moment. And he eked out the words. But my dad beat me with a pipe. And after Rigo composed himself, Boyle then asked about his mom. And Rigo pointed across the room to a small woman who was sitting in the corner, and he said, that's her over there. There's no one like her. He said, I've been locked up for a year and a half, but she comes to see me every Sunday. You know how many buses she takes to get here every week? And Rigo started to sob again, and he said, seven. Seven buses. She takes seven buses just to see me for half an hour. God's love is like a mother who takes seven buses to visit her child in prison. God has shown each one of us that kind of love. In Jesus Christ, we have a God that has gone seven buses and then some to arrive at us. He's gone great lengths to demonstrate his profound love for all of us who are broken and all of us who are in need. Let me say it again. God's love shows up. His love shows up even when we fail. His love shows up even when we're at our worst. 
There's this story in, in John chapter 4 where Jesus meets uh, this woman at, at a well, a Samaritan woman at a well. And the story hints at the fact that this woman is an outsider. Do, do you remember this story in John chapter 4? It, it hints that she's an outsider she, for, for two reasons. One, because she's at the well in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day. But also, she's all alone. And these two things are unusual. It meant that she was avoiding people. She wasn't accepted by anyone else in the town. Why? Because she had a reputation from going from one man to the next and to the next. She was the town scandal. And so Jesus meets this lonely woman, and he ends up, uh, in a way that only Jesus can do, revealing to her all the things that she was hiding in her life, all of her past mistakes and sins. And then he tells her that he is the Messiah. Well, when they part ways, the woman goes running through the town that had once ostracized her, and she was yelling, everyone come. You have to meet this man who's told me everything I have ever done. And it's kind of funny, isn't it? Because the whole town probably responded by saying, yeah, we know everything you've already done. <laughs> but she wasn't simply saying, come see this man who told me everything I did. She was saying, come see this man who told me everything I did, but he still loves me. That's the kind of love that makes a person sing. The kind of love that shows up when we fail, when we sin, when we're at our worst. And that's how Jesus loves you and me. God's love shows up. It shows up in our greatest need. You know, there's a common saying about getting kicked while you're down. <laughs> well, when it comes to God, you might say that we get loved while we're down. The darkest nights of my own life were a nine-month period that I had in my 20s. Gina and I had been married for about three years at that point, and... Uh, and following some health issues, this dark cloud of depression and anxiety settled over my life. These were the worst days of my life. I couldn't eat. I couldn't work. I couldn't function as a, a normal human being. And no doctor, doctor after doctor, couldn't get to the bottom of what I was experiencing. And I remember one night, Gina was out of town doing her PhD studies. And I was all alone. I was anxious, I was desperate, and I prayed the most honest prayer to the Lord. I prayed, God, if this is what the rest of my life is going to look like, I'm not sure I want to live it. I really need your help. The next day, my Christian friend reached out to me, and he spoke what I would call prophetic words into my life. They were words directly from God's heart for me. And then the next day, Gina returned home, and she spoke the very same words. <laughs> Those words were God's way of pulling me out of the pit, and I have never looked back. 
God's love shows up when we are in need. And it's the reason I sing. You see, God does not leave us in darkness or death. 1 John 4, 9 to 10 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son that we might live through him. This is love, not not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God doesn't leave us in darkness. He doesn't leave us in darkness. He sent his son so that we could live and have life abundant. And God doesn't leave us in death. Death is sin's ultimate consequence. He doesn't leave us there. He sent his son to deal with death and dismantle its curse through the cross. This is our greatest need. Our greatest need is for someone with the power and authority to make right all that is wrong in us and in our world. And Jesus is the only one who can do that. He's the only one who can deal with sin and its curse. And he's done it through the cross. He took our place. He suffered for our sake. He gave up his life so that we might have a share in his. God's love showed up on the cross. That's the reason we sing. And here's the thing. Because God's love shows up, it means that we don't have to go chasing after. We don't need to chase after his love because it shows up. Because God freely loves us, we don't have to strive in order to attain it. Now, lots of people, they go through their life wondering if anyone really loves them. Maybe that's you this morning. And in the search, sometimes we strive for acceptance and affirmation in all kinds of different places that fail to satisfy. Henry Nouwen speaks about this hopeless cycle of striving for love in our world, and he writes these words. He says, as long as I keep running about asking, do you love me? Do you really love me? I give all power to the voices of the world and put myself in bondage because the world is filled with ifs. The world says, I love you if you are good looking, intelligent, and wealthy. I love you if you have a good education, a good job, and good connections. I love you if you produce much, sell much, and buy much. There are endless ifs hidden in the world's love. These ifs enslave me, since it is impossible to respond adequately to all of them. The world's love is and always will be conditional. As long as I keep looking for my true self in the world of conditional love, I will remain hooked to the world, trying, failing, and trying again. But God's love doesn't have any ifs. God's love is a yes and amen. And because God's love shows up for us, we don't need to go chasing after love. The love of heaven has come to us, which means we don't need to live in fear of rejection, though people may reject us. 
And we don't need to be held captive to the approval of others because we already have the greatest love one could ever receive. God's love shows up for us, which means we simply get to delight in it, in his love, and allow his love to do what only love can do, change us into something greater than we presently are. That's what God loves, God's love does. It changes us into something greater. Every scripture this morning about love that I've read, and, and many more, have come from the Apostle John. John has two nicknames in the Bible. The first, he gets the nickname when he meets Jesus. The second, he carry, uh, comes to him many years later. First, do you know his first nickname? First, he was called Son of Thunder, along with his brother James. And he gets this nickname because he was like a storm, a storm of self-righteousness and anger and, and judgments. When the brothers, these two brothers, rolled into Samaria one day with Jesus, John was the one who wanted to call down thunderbolts from heaven to destroy the people who lived in Samaria. He was a son of thunder. But do you know what they called the son of thunder years later? They called him the apostle of love. What turns a son of thunder into an apostle of love? Well, only one thing. John came to see himself as the one whom Jesus loved. That's how he describes himself when he writes the gospel. The one whom Jesus loved. When we have received the love of God, when we take it as our own, that love changes us. I read about a woman this week who had been abused. And she grew up hating herself and, and others because of it. This past abuse. abuse. But then her eyes were open to the love of God and Jesus. And, and she described it this way. She said, Abuse taught me that I am worthless. But Jesus taught me I'm precious to him. She had come to see herself as the one whom Jesus loved. And it changed everything for her. God's love changes everything. It makes us sing. And so church... I want to suggest to you one goal for our summer together. <laughs> that you make it your goal, that we make it our goal this summer to see ourselves like the Apostle John came to see himself. To make it our summer goal to see ourselves as the one Jesus loved. That you might say, I am the one Jesus loves. Because it's the reason to sing. I invite you to pray with me. Jesus, you love us. <laughs> and so in this moment, Lord, we just want to create space for, for us to, to receive the love of God. Your love shows up for us. It shows up in our need. It shows up in our failure. It was there in the very beginning, and it changes our life.
And so, Jesus, for those who particularly need to hear your voice of love this morning, would you speak, Holy Spirit? Would you speak? And bring us to life. Bring us to life, we pray, Jesus, through your love.